You're listening to Flaunt, Find Your Sparkle and Create a Life You Love After Infidelity or Betrayal. Have you been betrayed by life, your body, or someone that you love? You're not alone. No matter what you've been through, Naked Self-Worth helps you regain confidence, joy, and enthusiasm so you can create a life you love and flourish. Tune in weekly and learn how. One of the hardest things about finding out that your partner has had an affair is the shame and embarrassment talking about it because it makes you feel like you did something wrong, that somehow you weren't good enough and that you didn't keep them happy. And there's such a misperception in the world around what affairs are like and what it means when somebody has had an affair. That's why I have created a monthly support group for women who have been betrayed by their partner. It's for women who are really ready to move through the grief and the pain in a healthful way so they can claim what's possible for them on the other side of infidelity and betrayal as quickly and as healthily as possible. And part of that is having community, having community with people who are positive. There are so many online support groups where everybody's just really negative and grouchy and they just vent their own pain and they vomit their pain all over you. And this group is nothing like this. This group is honest. Yes, we're honest. But it's also about support and community and holding each other and building each other up. If this sounds like something that you would be interested in, go to www.com flourish after infidelity and sign up. When you sign up, you'll immediately get the Zoom link to our next meeting and then you will be in the loop and you will know when each monthly meeting is about to occur. I really look forward to having you there, to building this community of strong women together. Once again, it's www.flourish.com flourish after infidelity.com. And we'll see you at our next meeting. Hello, and welcome to flaunt, find your sparkle and create a life you love after infidelity or betrayal. Today's guest is Johanna Lynn, and she is a relationship specialist. And she's also the founder of the family imprint Institute, which you are going to so love learning about. Trust me on this one. She has been connected to the world of separation and divorce for decades, originally due to her personal situation, like so many of us. And then as a, um, I can't say this, systemic therapist focusing on restoring relationships. And what I really love about her work is it's interconnected. I mean, let's face it. Life is about relationships, whether it's a romantic relationship or a family relationship or a relationship with your male delivery person or the people at the grocery store, or most importantly, the relationship with yourself. Life is about relationships. And unless we can address how those relationships like interplay with ourselves, with each other, how it works, we really have, I don't want to say we have no hope and sound dramatic like that. But we really don't have a hope of feeling the way that we want to feel and experiencing the kind of life that we want. 
So that is why I am so thrilled to have Johanna Lynn as our guest today. So welcome. Thanks, Laura. It's great to be here with you. Oh, it's so great to have you. Let's, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited about this show. Let's just kind of dive in. You started with kind of a personal situation, you said, and then it led you to do the work that you've done. So let's start with that. What was your situation and how did that bridge into this? Yeah, I think the surprise of his announcement that he had an affair was such a shocker. And I, I of course, first, there's the shock, there's the hurt, there's the tears. And I think what I started to consider is, hold on a second, this didn't happen out of nowhere. What was going on in our relationship that fed the distance, that was all about the sort of friction of frustration, those unspoken spoken things that just went under the proverbial rug that built up over time to have it break up in such a dramatic and painful way. So I sort of was dedicated to looking at how do I love? How do I show up in relationship? What sort of red flags might have I been missing that led me here? And due to that sort of um, turn and what I was looking towards, I found a lot of information about what I now call our love blueprint, how we learn to love in our family of origin, um, what painful patterns can end up repeating, and where we get stuck in sort of loving like we were loved, that we fall in love with what's familiar. And I just learned so much about myself. It was an interesting time, so much heartbreak, so much raw emotion, but I learned the most about myself during that time than any other time since. Oh, isn't that the truth? I, I hear that time and time again. It's this kind of a discovery can lead to such good stuff, mm-hmm. such deep growth and development, or it can lead to complete disaster. It's really what we choose to make of it. Yeah. Yeah. One of the questions that you just said, I, I wrote down because I love it so much. What led me here? Mm -hmm. And I want to unpack that a little bit because I think when we first find out that our partner has cheated, it's them. They did this to me. How could he do this? What did she do wrong? They, 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 I'm a victim. And although in a sense we are, where we weren't a willing participant in it, Mm -hmm. where's that fine line between like that, what led me here? And what were choices that were outside of my control? And I just want to talk about that a little bit because I think that's a tough line and it's different for different people in different circumstances, but let's unpack that one a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think what woke me up almost like just hitting the, the brakes before a stoplight kind of a moment, I was in therapy and the therapist said to me, blame is the cheapest hit of power going. And I thought, oh. It kind of had me sit back in my chair for a minute. And this idea that if I'm just looking at his side of things or the other woman, because I was so fixated on that for a while, that I was outside of myself. There was nothing I could do about, um, I guess, his decision to cheat or who he chose to do it with, but all about 
I'm talking years before and where we would continue to get off track or the unhealthy way we would argue, the kind of way we would tear each other down, that we stop being each other's soft place to land in the world. And so I really wanted to understand, gosh, do we bring out the worst in each other? What parts of myself am I repeating? And I would have to say a lot of the times I felt like an angry teenager with him that I have to, you know, dig my heels in and all the pushback. And that's not the way healthy love feels. And so I kind of went on a quest for what does healthy love look like? How has it been different from what I've been living? Because life's too short to come home and not feel emotionally safe in your own relationship. Right. And what what does healthy love look like? Is that the same for everybody or based on like your love blueprint? Can it be a little bit different for everybody? I think it's always unique, you know, as unique as our fingerprint. I think beyond the the obvious about feeling physically and emotionally safe, that's kind of our baseline. But this idea of, gosh, you really get me. I don't have to be in any sort of performance mode or jump in any kind of hoops. There's just this place where we fit. And for me, that includes these deep dive conversations into unique topics and maybe even talking about a book we read and loved and getting out into nature. Some of those things where our values align and we're out there in the world together. And I think a big piece for me, um, and maybe it's because it's one of my values, and I kind of touched on it earlier, is just feeling like I can come home to you, I can rest with you. There's a, there's an ease about the way we fit, and there's not a whole bunch of, you know, quote unquote, relationship work, which just kind of fits. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't that just even feel comforting talking about mm-hmm. it? Absolutely. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, it's my guess that just about everybody listening will also kind of experience that exhale that, oh, yeah, that sounds good. Mm -hmm. I want to be safe. I want to be known. I just want it to be easy. I want it to flow. So why isn't it easy? Why can't we just flow? You know, you were talking about like, we love what's familiar, Mm -hmm. but if we're from a family of origin where, where there's chaos, it almost seems like we would crave that peace more than exactly. we would going into the chaos. Exactly. So it's sort of like, I feel at home in my relationship, even when home hurts. And so there's a piece where, gosh, is it normal that if I hear my partner slamming the cupboard doors, let's just say, I know I have to walk on eggshells. Or I don't dare say my real opinion about this thing because I know what's going to be on the other side of that. So when we start to, I guess, hive off parts of ourselves in order to make the relationship okay, we tend to step further and further away from ourselves. And so when I work with my clients, it's actually never really a relationship issue. It's about where am I in time with you? How am I stuck in feeling like the little girl that's not heard or the angry teenager or repeating mom and dad's relationship, maybe full of disappointment or you know just blowout fights. And so we wanna kind of go back to what is my part in this? How do I feel in either in conflict or when he goes away on yet another business trip, you know, managing that distance. 
Yeah. And so if we grew up and mom or dad was an alcoholic or struggled with addiction of any kind, even if we marry the responsible partner, but perhaps they're a workaholic. So it's the same dynamic, but it looks differently. So even when we spot the familiar, it doesn't mean oh the relationship is doomed, but it does mean we've got to look at what what about this is familiar and what can I do about this? How do I make the change so that I can kind of interface with this dynamic in a healthier way? Yeah, yeah. Because really, we're the only person that we can control. We can. Well, 100%. Yeah, yeah. So how do we start really uncovering the courage to do that? Because I love what the therapist said, blame is easy. And it's mm-hmm. a huge, cheap hit of power. I mean, it mm-hmm. is. And it's so much too easier to be like, what a jerk and what a da-da-da-da-da. It takes a lot of courage to be like, okay, let me look at me. How, how, do, you, how do you uncover that courage and start on this kind of a journey? Mm. I think if I look at my own experience, I'd have to just own that I was so, I guess, out of energy to imagine having my heart broken in that same way again. And so there was this part of me, some part of me that knew, if I don't look at my piece, why wouldn't it end up repeating? And so I really wanted to go back to the drawing board in a way and look at all of that early stuff so that I could almost safeguard my heart, so that I could trust myself again, trust my choices in love, and step in, I guess, feeling like it was more eyes wide open, that I wasn't just sort of following, you know, oh, who picked me, but more who matches with me, who's that right fit for me, so that it can be a life with a little more harmony and that ease that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. And and taking that one step further, not only who matches with me, but who matches with the healthy parts of me. Oh, yes. Yeah. Cause that's a big one. So yeah. Okay. It's being aware it's being exhausted. It's finally just wanting to live a really good life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then you start unpacking this, you start changing yourself. But like I said, in the intro, we're in relationship with so many people all the time. When we start changing ourselves, it changes all of our relationships. Mm-hmm. How do you start managing and balancing that? Because sometimes it's just easier to say, I give up on the change too. Mm. I think that's such an important point because when we start to get to know ourselves, maybe have a little more discernment, have a little stronger boundaries, it changes how we interact with everyone else around us. And so the first clue is to notice what is changing inside of us. So I like to share with my clients that boundaries are negotiated from the inside. And if we're taking our cue from the outside, like, oh, well, my ex-mother-in-law won't put up with that, therefore I don't dare set that boundary, or I can't say that to my friend, it'll really hurt her feelings. We wanna be able to go back inside of us, that the boundary isn't for the other person, it's actually for us. And sometimes we've got to kind of, I guess, renegotiate. What is our line in the sand? What is okay? And and what is asking too much? And 
a lot of us can have a hard time with that because we've learned that love means being generous, being giving, doing what the other person wants. And we need to really look at that too. That's another important shift that helps all of our relationships feel a lot more healthy. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And and I th- I like how you talked about the boundaries inside you. Because I think especially as women too, we get really focused on what we can do for others and how we can create harmony for others and how we can, I'll, I'll put her next to him at the table and then I'll move her over here for, and we've completely lost track of, but this is my dinner party and this is what I want to experience. That's right. We're sort of orchestrating it for all the guests and we forget about our own experience. Yeah. It's a perfect metaphor for life, really. You know, how many times are we outside of ourselves doing what's expected of us for work or, you know, doing what our kiddos need and jumping all these hoops and we put ourselves very last on our own list. Yeah. Yeah. So when we start putting ourselves back on our own to-do list, when we start making our, the way we feel a priority and we start getting some of that pushback, I know I experienced, and it's my guess that you probably did too, and listeners too, kind of that moment of like, ah, there's a little bit of guilt. There might be a little bit of shame. There might be a little bit of like, I just renegotiated the line in the sand. I just stood up for it. It's important. But now I've got a little bit of conflict around it. And I don't know how to manage that immediate moment. Mm -hmm. Do you have any insight around that? It's so important because it's so common, as you say, and I think boundaries are what end up protecting what matters most. So I used to have a friend who, you know, I'm sure all your listeners can relate. We all probably have that one friend who just asks and asks and then asks again. And so I remember being flustered and sort of agreeing to something that I knew I didn't want to do. And I actually called her back a couple of days later and I said, I know I said I would come to that thing or help you out with that. And I really sat with it and I realized I would end up being exhausted. I'd I'd kind of overcommitted and I want I don't want to feel resentful or, you know, exhausted or overtired. I just don't want to put that in between us in our friendship. So in order to let you know how much I value our friendship, I want to be able to back out of this and let you know why, because it ends up making our relationship stronger. I so it's almost cleaning up the unspoken resentment before it even happens. I love that. Yeah, I really love that. And, you know, sharing a similar story, it sounds like you had a good experience with that and that you were able to develop and build on the relationship. I was thinking back to a friendship where I had, and it was a very similar situation. And I did call back and I did that same thing. And she said, if you're not there for me, I'm out of this friendship. Mm -hmm. And like literally unfriended me on social media that day. And although it hurt, I mean, it really hurt. To say I haven't missed the friendship (laughs) is honest because it was a constant drain. And it was a constant me managing her emotions. That's it. And I think the courage, I love the word you used earlier when you asked the question, because it does take courage that sometimes by being able to put that boundary there, it really shows us who our true friends are. It's like taking a bit of a friendship inventory that, hey, wait a minute, if I'm not able to say, no, I'm not able to help you with that, 
and that means it's the end of our relationship. Well, how strong was that friendship anyways? Yes. Yes. And how one-sided. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I know in the relationship world, when it's a romantic partnership, especially when people have been together for a while or if kids are involved, it kind of ups the ante because so often it's the juggling of how do I get my needs met? But at the same time, I also have this need maybe for security or to make the marriage work or to get the kids through the end of the school year or, you know what I'm saying? How, what are your tips and thoughts around balancing that? How do I create health and create stability? Mm. Well, in the, the model that I work from, we actually use something called the orders of love. Can you believe there's over 70 of them with how love flows in relationship and friendships and why we're not taught this stuff in school? I'll never really understand. Right. We kind of only learn about it if we're really dedicated to having high quality connections and really supportive relationships. And so one of the main orders of love is to be sure we have a balance of give and take in our most important relationships. That includes love relationship, friendships, work relationships. The only place where it doesn't apply is parent and child. As parents, we give to our children. We want to make sure they've got their attachment cups full and we're not looking for anything in return. But in order to keep love relationships healthy, if we're the overgiver, if we're the overfunctioner, it actually ends up collapsing the relationship. We don't have a lot of health or reciprocity because it's also one-sided like that friendship you were just giving the example of yeah and so the idea of health in a relationship is really owning again Ooh, have i been the one doing all the heavy lifting and can i actually hold that that almost body feeling to overgive and to kind of fill up that empty space can i use that time to work on myself to stop that over-functioning because this creates a kind of imbalance that can be very hard to come back from. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I I love the word over-functioning <laughs> because mm -hmm. it's so true. And going back to what you said at the beginning, what led me here? You know, yeah. what was the problem? I know in my own marriage, not that I caused him to cheat, not that I caused him to make those decisions, but I over-functioned in the relationship. Mm -hmm. I absolutely, hands down, took care of the emotional labor, did everything for everyone, owned all of that. And it did become one-sided and it did collapse. Yeah. And what's going on behind the scenes there, Laura, is the other side feels almost emotionally indebted. There's this feeling of there's no way I could ever catch up. Laura's yeah. done you know, A to Z, all the things. And so there's a sense of, if I don't know how to even start to create the balance, I'll just go over here. Whether that's to work, the other woman, the, the end of the relationship because of some other sort of hiccup we can't overcome. So we've got to look at where does that part of me that wants to overfunction, that wants to fill in the blank, and nine times out of 10, it comes from us 
in our family with a busy mom or a distracted dad or mom and dad break up and our needs get lost in the mix and now literally our body can't handle that feeling of distance and so we make up the distance and it can really have its detriment in a long-term relationship yeah yeah so i like how you said the body cannot handle the distance and i know you talk about epigenetics what can you explain what are epigenetics how does it work how can listeners understand what that means and what can they do about it yeah so epigenetics will borrow from a computer metaphor it's like we're born sharing an operating system with mom and dad and our grandparents we are very much born with their experiences, even their traumas, their heartbreaks, the things that are unresolved for them, very much imprinted right in our DNA. So one of my most influential teachers wrote a book called It Didn't Start With You. And I love that title because Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the times we just tell ourselves, well, this is just how my relationships go or people just let me down. But where did that start? Was that something that happened in your childhood? Or was it something that was a grandma's experience, but lives inside of you as if it were your own? So epigenetics is looking at you, your challenges today in the context of your whole family system. Isn't that fascinating? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is. Mm-hmm. So I know you to work about with the love blueprint is the love blueprint like that, the epigenetic blueprint, or is that a little bit different? It's quite similar. So it's the idea that our mom and dad are our very first love. It's really how we learn to love is through how we were cared for and nurtured. And until we start to look at that, it's kind of running us unconsciously behind the scenes. And so we kind of want to understand, like we'd open up a map to figure out where we're going from A to B. The same is true for us. What does my blueprint lead me to do? Do I naturally overgive or and maybe I need to like strengthen my receiving muscle. Right. Am I quick to anger or do I completely shut down and withdraw in conflict? It'll be different for each and every one of us, but it's got its roots in our earliest love. Yes, it absolutely does. So in my case, I know that my blueprint leads me to overgive. Mm-hmm. I know my husband, but after his affair, we've, we've worked, we're six years out now. We've mm-hmm. repaired our marriage, which has been fantastic, but difficult. Mm-hmm. His blueprint leads him to instant anger. Mm-hmm. So we know that about ourselves and we know that about each other. Can you talk about the dance between what is my responsibility in my blueprint and what is my responsibility to my partner's blueprint? Mm. Great awareness. And so every couple will have this dance you speak of because really we, well, the way that we say it as colleagues with each other is systems marry systems. So there's a way that how your husband responds being quick to anger is familiar to a way that you knew in your household growing up. 
And so one of the ways we want to really be honest with ourselves and love and care for ourselves is to be sure we're not walking on eggshells, to be sure we're not not broaching a subject because we don't want the anger flare. Right. That there's a place where we certainly take care of ourselves. So meaning, up. anger has erupted, I'm going to, you know, go for a walk and we'll address this later. But we just want to be sure that we're not hiving off parts of ourselves in order to make the relationship okay. If it's important to you that he expresses his anger differently, that's going to be on his journey of whatever that's going to look like working with a therapist, joining an anger group, reading a book, getting out for a kickboxing class. I mean, everybody's going to have different solutions, right. but that's more about your line in the sand and how you want to feel in your marriage. If you're okay with, oh, here he is getting angry. Here we go. It's like a little eruption and that's that. Then it's a different story. So it's more about how it impacts you and how you want to feel. Okay. And then it sounds like a lot of that is, again, that self-awareness and then communicating it with the other person too. Definitely. Being able to be honest with when you erupt, I feel X. Yeah. Notice the languages, you're making me feel whatever, because right. we want to take full ownership of what's happening for us. And then again, good feedback. If you're trying to maybe repair or come together after infidelity or just a tumultuous marriage, good feedback for you. If you can express and your partner doesn't listen or doesn't care or is not interested or continually breaches the boundary. Yeah. Yeah. Really good information. That's it. And and I think sometimes there's a place where we might say, oh, gosh, that's familiar. My dad never listened to me either. You know, he was always behind the newspaper. And just because it's familiar doesn't mean it's okay and it can continue. Yeah. So that really opens up. Hey, sweetheart, you might not realize this, but it really cuts to the quick because my history is this. And so I just want you to know it's it, I, I realize you're busy and you missed what I just said, but I took it really to heart. And so can we can we look at that? Can we find a new way so that I'm really feeling heard? And if it kind of falls on deaf ears, if this is, you know, the 72nd time we've had this conversation, we do have to start looking in the mirror to say, who am I that stays in a relationship where I don't feel valued and I don't feel heard? Yeah. There's only so many times we can have the same darn conversation and not, not have anything change on the outside. Yeah. And I think that is that piece of courage, maybe. Once you get to that place and you say, who am I to stay in this relationship? Yeah. That's a big kickstart. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So on the epigenetics, on the blueprint, on all of that. Okay. I think, I think listeners get it. I think I get it. I think we can all understand like at least intellectually. Okay. Mm -hmm. This totally makes sense. So now comes the, how do you change it? How do you rewire your brain? What are the steps that takes? How does this actually work? Yeah. And so you're right. The first step is that awareness. Okay, here I am in a relationship where my husband has cheated. I don't want to end the relationship. I love our family. I want to find out what is this about so that we can recover and repair. 
-hmm. Being able to recognize and think, oh gosh, right. I was eight when I found out mom was having an affair and mom and dad divorced and my family life was completely changed. And so we want to be able to to connect the dots between how am I feeling today and how might that be a replica of yesterday? Mm. Then the work really begins. This is where the rubber meets the road around change and having a lot more, I guess, awareness of why we do the things we do and, and why we need what we do in our loving relationships. So when I work with my clients, oftentimes it might just be, close your eyes, client. Let's imagine you as a 15 year old or you know you you just today as at the age you are today having a conversation with your mom being able to come to completion with leftover hurts resentments things you actually might not ever say to her but your body needs to process you need to kind of metabolize that hurt get it up and out and really process it so that it's not running things from behind the scenes so that you're not caught in this kind of um, Groundhog Day, where you're repeating the past. We bring some awareness, and then we go right into how we might complete it so that it's not running over time. I love the word complete. Mm-hmm. How, yeah, how do we know when we are just bitching about something <laughs> <laughs> and stirring up more resentment, more bitterness? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Da, 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 and they did this, and then they did this. And, and really, I love that term also metabolizing mm-hmm. when it's flown through, when we're not creating cancer in our bodies because we're holding on to it and recreating it. How do we know when we're recreating and holding on to it and when we're metabolizing it and completing it? I think a lot of it has to do with the language we use to describe it and how charged we feel in our body when we're talking about it. So that's why I'll often interrupt my clients and I say to them, I'm doing this in your service. Please don't tell me all the bad things about your husband and as he did X, Y, Z, because <laughs> the same stress chemicals fire off in your body. You could be telling me about an argument that happened 14 years ago, but the way you're telling me, it's like it just happened this morning. It's, you know, fresh and alive in your body. Yeah. So this idea of yes, we did have this fork in the sand. Yes, we did almost lose our marriage. Yes, we did have a lot to repair. And now that I'm complete with it, it's almost this, we no longer take each other for granted. I'm a little more alert and aware to the red flags of distance or the buildup of frustration. Yeah. So that we're, I think, more present. We're living in our relationships with more presence. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And aware like that, I I am stuffing this down or I am holding this or I am feeling that resentment. And yeah, I think a big clue for your listeners is, have I told the same story to the last, you know, 12 girlfriends who listen? And maybe it's actually time that I bring that to my partner and say, I don't really know what we can do about it, but it just keeps circling inside my mind. And I just want to talk about solutions with you. I love that. And just that phrasing, I want to talk about solutions. Mm -hmm. That's powerful. Yeah, let's not just bring our complaints, but this idea of 
How do I want my marriage to feel? How do I want to feel in love? And let that direct sort of the direction that we, that the conversation can even go. Yeah. Yeah. That's powerful. So when you're working with clients, what does a typical session look like? Do you, you know, do you start with the past and move into the future, present and go into the future? Or do you start with that most immediate thing? How does that flow work? So when I start with a client, I always want to know what brought you here today? What is the impetus? Why is the timing now for the work you'd like to do? Yes. And then I step into building a three generation geneogram to find out how the challenge of today actually makes sense and lives in the family system. I'm looking for themes. I'm looking for patterns. I'm looking for, well, how it all makes sense. I joke that I'm more of a detective than I am a therapist. You know, we're looking yes. for that missing link. Yes. And then we move right into resolution. So from the very first session, we are diving into the root cause of what's up in the marriage or why your teenager now feels estranged or why you're so uncomfortable holding boundaries with your mom. We're, we're going to get practical. We're going to get into how do you bring this into your life from the very first session forward. And that's typically why I probably only work with clients, well, two to four sessions because we're right at the root cause instead of the typical joke about about talk therapy, you know, how do you feel about that? And round and round we go, but it's more, much more about solutions. Yeah. And that's what really attracted me when I was going through your website and looking at your work, your work was that root cause. Yeah. That root cause is so powerful. And so often we want to dance around it because it's scary to change it because mm-hmm. we will change ourselves. And when you talk about three generations, we will change ourselves. We will change our kids' future. We will mm-hmm. change our, you know, parents' past, our, our understanding of their past. That's it. And I think for a lot of my clients, they find it really interesting that it's actually less about what happened to us. Because a lot of people have some pretty heavy experiences, some really intense things that have gone on in their family. But it's less about what happened and much more about how we've made sense of it how we've come to terms with it. Again, that completion, how we can live with on it, kind of the lid on, we understand it and we don't have to live from that place anymore as a reference point. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, I think that's really powerful. And when you were talking about big things, you know, I think there are people who are descended from Holocaust survivors, the impact of, you know, the great depression. I know on like my idea around waste, mm-hmm. um, 9-11, like there's mm-hmm. some big events that people have had in their history. And I understand how it can impact, impact us and how we can hang on to it. So going forward, it also impacts our kids though. Mm-hmm. It really does. Yeah. And so a lot of the times I'll have parents call and say, oh gosh, my teen is so anxious or um, my, my, my teenager doesn't know how to navigate their relationship with their friends. You know, when can I send them in to see you? And I say, well, I start the work with mom and dad or at least one of the parent because a lot of what's going on with our children, children express what's unexpressed in us, what's unresolved in us. And that teenager is not going to know the family history is not going to really know those connections. And so by being able to work with the parents, it gives that full context. 
And so this is never about blame or about, oh gosh, I did divorce their dad when they were seven and therefore this, not at all. It just gives us an understanding where that heartbreak may have come in or gosh, grandma's scary diagnosis and all the attention had to go over there so that we can better support our kids because we just want them to launch into life confident, really feeling full and accepted for who they are. Yeah. So glad that you said it's not about blame because Mm -hmm. I think that is one of the reasons that a lot of people either pull out of therapy or don't want to go in the first place is they already feel, I mean, we all make mistakes. I can look back over parenting decisions and you know, that I've made or that whatever decisions and nobody wants to go back in and say, now I'm going to unpack the time when I was a total jerk about blah, 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 blah. Nobody wants to do that. And nobody wants to hear you screwed up your kids. Exactly. It's a parent's greatest fear, isn't it? And so it's all about understanding the impact and moving forward towards repair. No matter what, even if we were the world's perfect mom, there's still going to be breaks in attachment. There's still going to be moments when we're hangry or overtired or late for something and our kids get kind of lost in the mix of all that. And so how do we take our best step forward by understanding all of those impacts to really do what we all want to do as parents have that you know i've got your back i'm behind you i believe in you and being able to move forward in that light yeah yeah because i'm thinking there might be some listeners out there who are on the infidelity journey and part of their consideration is i don't want to mess up my kids Mm -hmm. and and i like just how you can address it for yourself and how you want to feel you can address it for the marriage and how you want to be in a marriage, but you're also a mom or a dad. There's some men that listen to this too. And that's one of the biggest fears. I don't want to screw up my kids. I don't want to, what do I tell my kids? What? It's okay. Let's look at the impact of some of these different things and let's move on and understand. I totally, and I, and I love what you're saying because we have to acknowledge to ourselves, I'm modeling to my kids right now how to respond to shock or heartbreak or disappointment, how to move through conflict, how to stay with myself and make the right decisions. They are overhearing, they are watching. And the biggest way we can protect our kids during these sort of challenges is to be as age appropriately honest as we can be. The family secrets that are sort of kept, that we believe are kept hidden from our kids, play out in another way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned age appropriate too, because that, that can be hard to figure out, but that's such an important thing, not to give kids too much to handle. And then if something was done and it wasn't age appropriate, it's not that we have to give up and quit. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let's manage that impact. No shame or blame on me. I was in trauma. I screwed up, blah, blah, blah. Now, how do I manage that impact? I think a wonderful way to just sort of go by that piece is to keep your kids out of your marriage. Your kids don't need to know anything about what dad said or what mom did. That that is some of the 
oh, I guess, heaviest weight that we can put on our kids' shoulders. And so if a mistake like that has been made, that can be cleaned up too. Everything is repairable. Yes. But again, that commitment to yourself and to your kids in order to, let's face it, keep you out of the mess, keep you out of the heartbreak. This has nothing to do with you. This is where you received your life, but the dynamics of the marriage and where we're struggling, you don't, you get to be free of that. Yes. So then maybe going forward, their love blueprint is easier. Their relationship exactly. blueprint is either. And their, um, I don't want to say their trauma is less, but the, they have a greater shot of being healthy. Exactly. That's it. And, and this idea of, well, nothing goes perfectly in love, but when challenges arise, here is the ways that I learned to handle it. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, that's yeah. powerful, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I'm curious a little bit, jumping back to what you talked about, the orders of love. I'm curious mm-hmm. about some more of those. Mm-hmm. Well, one of them we just touched on is that we want to really keep our kids out of the dynamics of our relationship. And so let's say our marriage breaks up and we go on to remarry. That's also a part of the orders of love that um, let's say the new partnership has two children and you're bringing three in and all of a sudden we've got like a, you know, Brady Bunch situation. We've got a full house here. Well, what the new couple needs to acknowledge and accept is that the kids come first. They are from the first system, the first family. And so it's almost this agreement that yes, we're getting remarried. Yes, we have this new love and this love comes second. Your kids come first to you, partner, and my kids come first to me. We get off on a much healthier um, start when we can recognize the orders of love. Yeah, yeah, that's powerful, isn't it? Mm-hmm. We can go in with different expectations and it's healthier for the kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then again, having the conversation around that. And if you are with somebody that says, uh, 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 it's us first. Yeah. That gives you some more information. It does. And I think one of the honest answers could be, and it will be us first. We've got, you know, five years or seven years till, till college or university, but for the early years of our time, the kids and their needs come first. And so it really brings to the uh, surface the difference in values, the difference in parenting, the difference in focuses. And let's have that conversation now before we say the I do's. Exactly. Exactly. Because otherwise, we're looking at some problems down the line. That's it. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of problems down the line. <laughs> and all of this awareness. I think listeners listening to the show are having just light bulbs go off and they're like, yeah, I get it. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I get it. How much do they have to involve their partner or their potential partner in this? Or is this something that people can just do on their own? And, and I hate the word like save your marriage, but Mm -hmm. how much of an impact can this have if the partner doesn't understand this? Mm, I come into this a lot. So it can often be the case when 
uh, things start to get a little rocky or there's a certain things that start to build up and one partner is ready to really look at it and the other is either not quite ready or full out in, in avoidance, just does not want to go down that path. And so I've worked with many couples where only half the couple shows up, only half the couple's ready to look, and it can have remarkable results because we come back into that same old argument differently. It's like, you know what? I'm not picking up that tug of war rope. I'm learning different communication styles. I'm learning to stay with myself so I don't give myself away for connection. Um, I'm stepping out of the patterned ways of being that we've kind of got locked into over these years and it can create huge ripple effects. Now, every relationship is different and sometimes it's actually not enough. Mm -hmm. But no one can know that but you. And so my, my age old adage is to say, we're the common denominator. You know, if we've dated or married, you know, seven different people and they've all sort of gone the same. Well, you know, I'm the common denominator. Uh -huh. And so even as we look at I'm the only one who's ready to, you know, fix or save the marriage. Well, let's start there. Because let's look at your pattern of loving. If you're that overgiver, what can we do about that? If you've got this, gosh, unresolved hurt with your dad that somehow lives its way out in your partnership, let's deal with that. It will either greatly strengthen your current relationship or heal that deep foundational piece so that when you're ready to welcome love in again, it can look different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So even if your partner won't meet you there, it cannot hurt to dive in on your own. No, not at all. Mm -hmm. Not at all. Because again, then, going back to what we said at the beginning, we're the only ones we can change anyway. Exactly. And who knows with things going differently, things feeling lighter, they may join you down the line, but that's not the reason to kind of start on your own. No, no. Mm -hmm. And what I like to think too, just because I come from, you know, a background of being an attorney and looking at divorces and doing all that. Yeah. If you end up separating and your partner is not on board, it can make you a stronger co-parent. It just decreases conflict. It, you'll do better at work because you'll understand yourself better. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I was so astounded that I have colleagues in Brazil and one is a judge and one is a lawyer and they started to study systemic theory. And I didn't realize this, but I guess there's like a two and three year wait list for people that are waiting to get divorced in Brazil. Wow. So one of the judges thought, well, let me just start to apply this in some of the wait list clients that I have. And due to your earlier question, when he had both participants involved after they would do this work, they came to a hundred percent resolution, meaning I understand where you're coming from. We don't need to move forward in the legal proceedings. Let's agree on separating assets and childcare and all of this. Now, wow. what surprised me is that even when only half the couple would come forward, he still got a 91% resolution where there's an understanding about what went on behind the scenes, what's behind that hurt, because I think a lot of the times when we're so hurt, there is that sort of legal hope to go for the jugular and make it right through the legal system. But especially if there's kids involved, there are no winners when we take that approach. No, no winners at all. Yeah. The legal system, I'm climbing up on soapbox. Do, 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 do. <laughs> so not what the legal system is for. And in fact, 
if the judge thinks you are going for the jugular, you can actually end up in a worse position and mm -hmm. they will end up sanctioning you because that is not what a court is for. It's not about who did something morally right or wrong. That's right. Yeah. 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 So I love that you said that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and how interesting to you on resolving it, because as you were saying that, I was thinking so often my clients will talk to me about forgiveness mm -hmm. and I want to forgive. And how do you forgive? And how can you ever forgive something like this? And when, for me, when I understand the system, <laughs> the mm -hmm. systemic reasons why my husband chose to cheat, I understand and it makes sense. Exactly. And there's really nothing to forgive because it's logical that he felt that way. It's logical that he thought this decision was going to make him feel better. Yeah, exactly. I actually used to teach a class, Laura, called the myth of forgiveness because it is, it, it's almost like it, that's exactly how I would have described it. That what are two much more stronger words than I forgive are I understand. Yeah. I understand what led up to this hurt. I understand how we got here. And it allows us to come to completion in a much faster way than forgiveness. In my course, I talk about that balance that I was talking about earlier with you. And forgiveness puts us in a great imbalance. So if he cheated and I forgive, now I'm above him in some sort of a aren't I the good person, aren't I the forgiving partner? And by the way, I'm gonna make you passive aggressively pay for this for the rest of our days. Ding, 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 and ding, ding. <laughs> and there's no relationship is gonna survive that over time. We've gotta come back into equality and balance. And the way that we do that is coming into that, I understand. Here's my piece, here's yours. Again, we're not even about making it okay. There are some no. things that are unforgivable and can we get past it? Yeah. I talk I talk a lot with my clients about starting marriage 2.0. Yeah. What's this going to look like? Not even in the next chapter, but the next book. Let's yeah. just recreate new rules of engagement and start from here. I love that. That is fascinating. And I mm -hmm. love that we have such a common understanding around forgiveness. <laughs> that makes me yes. filled with it's joy. It's very rare. It's very rare to find someone. People usually think, what? No, because we're, we're really taught about forgiveness is the path and it's the way. And I just sort of say, if it was, you would have got there by now. You would have found it. Yeah, exactly. Well, where can the listeners learn more about you and your offerings and all of this great stuff. Yeah, they can certainly visit my site, which is www.joannalynn.ca. Uh, they can find me on Instagram under the Family Imprint Institute and certainly um, under my name in LinkedIn. Wonderful. And I will absolutely put all of your contact information in the show notes. And thank, thank you. you so much for sharing your wisdom for granting our listeners, I think, the gift of understanding. Mm. Whether it's a glimmer or a hole, I got to dive in and reach out to her just for planting that seed that, yeah, we're all part of a system that's bigger than us and we can work with it. Thank you, Laura. It's been such a pleasure to share this time with you. Likewise. Listeners, check her out. Check all of this stuff out. 
ponder this afternoon, this evening about some of this stuff and reach out. And then when you do, let me know how it's going for you. And as usual, have an amazing week and always remember to flaunt exactly who you are because who you are is always more than enough. Tune in next time to Flaunt. Find your sparkle and create a life you love after infidelity or betrayal with radio host and live choreographer Laura Cheadle every Wednesday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on syndicated Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. Develop naked self-worth and reclaim your confidence, enthusiasm, and joy so you can create a life you love and embrace who you are today. Download your free Sparkle Through Betrayal Recovery Guide at NakedSelfWorth.com.